Are you creative? That's a rhetorical question, because of course you are. A creative is anyone who makes something from nothing. Creativity is everywhere and in everyone. And that means you. So what's been stopping your inner creative from bursting out? Probably fear. Fear is part of creating something. It's a real bee. But don't worry, we'll help you get through that. This podcast will be your guide to claim your creativity, redefine your relationship with fear, and build a new life centered around creative expression. You're going to learn tools from people who have found ways to manage life's ups and downs by turning their experience into purpose. Think of this podcast as your very own creative community. This is Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. Hello, hope you're doing well. It's Lauren here with another creative check-in. And this week's creative check-in is about having fun. I've talked about it before in kind of like less defined terms. Like we know when you're doing a lot of hard work, you need to make sure you go out and still get inspired by the world and blah, blah, blah. But like, I really haven't talked about the fact that we all just need to play. And, you know, I think this is coming up because as we near the end of the year, we're thinking about all we've done in the past year and reviewing, thinking about what we did great and what we didn't do so great and what we want to do more of or less of in the new year. And something I've realized is that the past year of my life, I've done so many different things. I've pushed out my podcast. I've put out my first single. I'm about to put out my first music video. Started producing a bunch of new shows. But I haven't had that many fun experiences. And even the fun experiences I did have, they were muddled by a feeling of responsibility and obligation and needing to be doing something else or like I wasn't working hard enough. And so... My goal for the rest of this year and for next year and hopefully for my whole life is to not neglect play and not neglect fun. They are so vital to any creative person's life, to any person's life because we're all creative, right? And that includes this podcast. You know, I've spent so much time curating the best content possible, making sure that it is so meticulous and nothing's out of place. And I'm bringing you amazing guests in that I'm getting every little question in so that I can give as much takeaway as possible. And I'm of course still going to keep doing that, but I think I'm just going to take the pressure piece out of it, you know, because as much as I've talked about, you don't have to be perfect. Don't let perfect be the enemy of good. I have been letting the pressures of perfection choke the fun out of every single experience, including this podcast. And that's a shame because this podcast is awesome and the community it's building is amazing. And the people that listen are the best. You are the best. So what I want to start doing is adding a little levity to the show, adding a little breath to it. You know, I love laughing. I love comedy. And I've been so bogged down with serious subjects that I'm forgetting a big piece of myself, which is the funny piece and the fun piece. So that's going to be incorporated into a lot more episodes. And that's starting with this one. It's between me and a very close friend of mine. It starts out kind of abruptly, like we're like mid-conversation. But I want to start doing more of that because first of all, I want you to really get to know me and I want to be able to share my full self with you on the show. And second of all, I think it's nice. Like I, I was thinking about the podcast that I really like listening to. And it's not always like the super, not to say this is like heavy, but it's not always the super heavy ones or the super like deep ones. A lot of the time 
I just want to laugh. What if we could couple these deep spiritual and emotional and life-affirming subjects that we talk about on this show with levity? I mean, that's already happening a little bit, but I want to bring it into the mix more. And so what you're probably going to hear over these next few months is an exploration of what it means to have a fun, deep, passionate, service-based show. Because I think all of those worlds can intermix, and I'm really excited to see where that takes us. And I hope you offer your feedback on this journey. Tell me what you're doing to have more fun in your life. So yeah, I'm going to do it in my work, but also in my life, you know? And I took the pressure off with my songwriting too. It's like, I felt like every song had to be this big hit. And I'm like, you know what? What if I just enjoyed writing a song? What if it was just fun? And since I've taken this pressure of everything needs to be perfect and it needs to be pristine and completely presentable off... I have been in creative flow and songs have been pouring out of me and ideas have been pouring out of me. So wherever you are in your journey, in your work and in your life, bring fun back into the mix. I promise you will feel better. All right, now let's get to the guest. I can't wait for you to hear from him. Jordan Lear is an actor, stand-up comedian, musician, writer, and director. Best known for appearing on Young Sheldon, Amazon Prime's Secret Agent Challenge, his frequent work as a comic at the Hollywood Improv, and for being one half of the musical duo, Lojo and the Truth. FYI, I was the other half. Jordan is my musical brother, and he's been a big part of my songwriting journey. Jordan grew up in a rural area of Michigan called Constantine, where he scratched the surface of his creativity by entertaining his family and schoolmates. But he always dreamed of more. After high school, he took his studies to Michigan State University, where I met him, while we both acted on the college sitcom, which was called The Show. It filmed live and aired on the internet, as well as local access TV, and it was our little version of Friends. It was super fun, and we became buddies then. When Jordan graduated, he moved to Los Angeles, and he was dead set on becoming a famous comedian and actor. However, he also brought along his guitar— which is where our little musical duo, Lojo and the Truth, came in. From the time Jordan and I first started writing together, we knew we had something special. Within less than a year of writing our first song together, we'd played House of Blues, Hard Rock Cafe, and The Viper Room. However, a couple years into our musical journey, Jordan's primary love of acting and comedy had to take precedence, and at that time, I started playing music on my own. Since then, Jordan has had a ton of acting, comedy, and writing success and only keeps growing. And the same has been true for me with my music and broadcasting. I wanted to have Jordan on because I think our relationship is a great example of how to properly and amicably have a creative separation in the most loving way possible. I also find him to be one of the most entertaining people I know, and I think you'll love his stories and our banter. From this conversation, you'll learn how to tell which creative path you're on is your deepest passion, how long it actually takes to become an expert at your craft, and how to enjoy the process, tips for aspiring stand-up comedians, and creative methods to overcome anxiety. Now here he is, Jordan Lear. So, like, what's a trip home if you don't have an emotional meltdown with your family? Yeah, I said two, and everyone's pretty cool with both of them. They're all like, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Everyone really just listened to me. That that always happens with me too. And I felt fine after. Why do you think that is that they occurred? I mean, like, was, was it just like a breaking point? Or? Well, there's so much stress going in. Mm-hmm. I go home and my parents aren't together. My dad's living next door. In a house that's literally in, next door? Well, yeah, in my because my grandma owns that house next oh, door. Okay. 
Get a little closer. My grandma owns that house next door. And uh, they're not together. Plus, there's always my sister. My sister's actually doing great. But still, it's tough. She's living at home. There's it a lot still of people. stresses you out. So a lot of deal with the... She doesn't have a license. They, they drive her around. It's like a lot of things to take care of. And they got to live life. So I go home. It's stressful just because my parents aren't fucking together. And they didn't tell me that. And I guess they had filed... They'd both filed for divorce against each other. A couple months. No one told me this. Why didn't they tell you? I know. My sister told me when I got home. And, and there was some like... Bad meltdowns that happened that my sister, she goes, you want to hear? And I took a rip of the bong. I was like, let me hear it. And Shoot. she told me about some fucking, and I was, I was like, yo, my, my family's crazy. They're crazy. That's cool. But I'm like, Jordan, you're 29. They're, that's, that's crazy behavior, you know, to right. not tell you all this shit. But I'm still cool. I'm still floating around. My grandma is moving houses because my dad had he was gonna file for a divorce, so he wanted to move away, and he wanted my grandma to buy a different house, him to get into. So we have to move all of her shit because the sales happened. <laughs> so I spend twelve days just moving boxes and shit, dealing with this. Still going next door, no one's talking, no one says anything. They're actually the divorce is called off. Actually, they're trying to be peaceful. My dad's trying to make it up or whatever, but no one's talking about it. No one's saying anything, and I flipped out because my sixty-year-old uncle who did meth for 30 years. He's a great, he's like my favorite person in the world. He's staying. He always, he tries to get his trip around me. And he, when he comes, he just drinks the whole fucking time. All right. And it's funny. It's great. He starts getting a little annoying and loud. First night I'm there, I got to tell him, to, I got to be like, you got to go to bed, Uncle Sax. You gotta go to bed. His name's Uncle Sax? Yeah. Uncle like Sa- saxophone? Saxton. <laughs> oh, shit. I should bleep that out. Okay. Anyway, cut, cut that name out. For, for the reason. I will, I will. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so he wake so <laughs> so the second night I'm sleeping on a very uncomfortable pull out fucking not even a, a couch like a fucking old ass sh- hand a trundle shit. yeah <laughs> and one in the morning drunk Uncle Sax comes out of the room comes out with a lit cigar opens the door he's like hey JT and he whips his whips his dick out he starts pissing outside the house starts pissing outside well, that the was house. respectable. <laughs> but the lit cigar is still in the house. And I just started screaming at him. I'm like, dude, there's a bathroom. I'm like yelling at him. I'm like, get the fuck in there, motherfucker. What the fuck are you doing? I'm like, I couldn't sleep. So I wake up in the morning and he knows I'm pissed. I hear, I'm like, I wake up at nine and I am pissed. And he, I hear him talking to my mom. He's like, oh, I think I'm pissed, JT. Why is it? What's your middle name? Thomas. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah! I never knew that. Yeah, he calls it JT sometimes. I don't know. It's a thing. <laughs> Jordan Thomas. Yeah, yeah. And I hear this, but I'm still pissed. And the whole thing, there's everything going on, and he comes over to me, and it's like two nights in a row. And Everly wasn't there with me that night. My niece, but she was gonna be there the next night too. And he comes over. He goes, "Hey, man!" And I go, "Listen to me, motherfucker! Tonight, 8 p.m. You're in that bed." You're asleep, okay? I'm sick of... And by now, now that I'm yelling, my mom had walked into the room. Uh-oh. And my sister's there. And my mom's got this, like, frightened look. And I go... She's, like, rubbing her essential oils on her head. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's got the lemonade. <laughs> and I, uh... I go, dude, if you do it again tonight, whenever he's here... I'm either beating the fuck out of you or I'm calling the cops. And I go, I'm tired of all the adults around here acting like children. <laughs> and he was cool. He goes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I love you. Gave me a big hug. He goes, I could take it. I understand. The rest of the trip is pretty cool. That was the first meltdown. 
Why do you consider that a meltdown? Oh, I yelled and I sh- threatened to cause violence. Okay. <laughs> that's a little. I, I would think I, that's more like you reached I, a breaking point and you got super angry. Like to me, yeah. a meltdown is what my dad calls my meltdowns is when I cry like hysterically and scream. Okay. But not because I'm mad because I'm so sad. Ah, <laughs> I guess. Okay. He you're says, right. you know, what my dad says to me. You know, Lauren, it was so hard raising a creative child with all the meltdowns. Oh, shit, dude. I can feel it because you're like, oh, the world will never be the way I right. think it's going to be. But and- sometimes you just need to do that for a minute. Yeah. And then when you get out of it, you can actually be a logical person and get back to real life. Yeah. But you, for me, I need to have that emotional release or else I will actually lose it. Like, that's not me losing it. That's me being a person. I get you. And I'm trying to like... Pick your spots with that because you don't want to dwell on things and be like, oh, this sucks. But I think it is healthy to sometimes be like, this sucks. Like, it is healthy to be like, if it is what it is, you know? You don't got to say it over and over again. But once in a while, I don't know, I get some sort of release from it. How do you think your family dealt with you being a creative soul growing up? Like, was that supported? Was it ignored? It seems kind of like it was ignored. No, I already got, I always got laughs. And everyone yeah. always thought I was entertaining. Cause like when I was a little kid, I like I like dancing to Elvis and shit. So like at Christmas, like I did it once, and they're like, "Oh yeah, keep doing that." And like my grandpa <laughs> thought it was fucking hilarious. Yeah, so they always I don't know. I I feel like I was honestly really always entertaining to my mm-hmm. family, but everyone in my family kind of was. Everyone was playful. Did you, know? you act in high school? One year, you could say I acted. Freshman year, we had forensics. Did you have that? Yeah, yeah. I never did it. Though. You never did it? Uh-uh. Oh, you didn't do it? <laughs> no, I missed did, out. Did you act in high school though? Oh, I've acted since I was three. Yeah, well, okay, no, and like, but do you like have a theater? The plays, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. See, we didn't have plays until my junior year, and oh. I didn't do it because I was, I was into sports and everything. Right. Couldn't do it anymore. Gotta kick that ball. I gotta kick that, <laughs> yes. Uh, but I, what, the, what was I saying? Oh, you acting. Did forensics. Forensics, freshman year, and then they cut the program. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So Funding for that. the arts. That was fun. I did a little monologue at like six different like events, six Saturdays. Like, we, we had class during the week. You prepped your thing or whatever. That's pretty cool. So you you're a multi passionate, multi talented individual, and you and I, of course, know each other because we did the sitcom in college, and the then show. the show, and then we were the best duo ever known to Los Angeles, Lojo and the Truth. Yeah, we played all around LA. I will tell everyone today. I'm like, yo, I am like, like was the worst actor on that the show. Like everyone else was like that's way better. Def- that's so, not true for the time, probably. I don't know. Everyone was very good. Oh, you were good. I mean, I always remember that line about, not Brian, what are we poor? There was this weird line in in the sitcom we were on in college where Jordan's character, Brian. No, my character's name was Richard. Oh, fuck. Okay, let's back that up. Jordan's character, Richard. (laughs) Jordan's character, Richard, thought he got his girlfriend. What was her name? Uh, Leslie, Leslie, which is pregnant. my sister's name. Yeah. Oh, oh. that must have been weird. <laughs> or yeah. did you love it? Oh, I think it's hot if you ask me. If you grew up like I did, <laughs> fucking your sister. Whoa. Easy. Easy. <laughs> so, yeah. The, and then they were going through potential baby names. And I just thought it was so funny because the line was, no, not Brian. What are we poor? Yeah. And it just made sense for some reason. Whoever, I don't know who wrote it. I think Chris Reed wrote that one. Really? Yeah. I probably. But it just like rung off the tongue like so well. It did. Yeah. yeah. Right, so you had that comic timing back then. But did you like even back then want to do comedy? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was always like 
like kind of trying to get a laugh, I guess, from people. I always tell people in first grade, my teacher let me go up in front of the class and talk out of my ass, Ace Ventura style. Ms. Ignis, shout out. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, she really did. Like, because, you know, it's from the movie. It was hot. And I did it like once. So I was like, you mind if I go talk? Yeah, like, I would ask, you know, can I go get a set in real quick? <laughs> you know, hey. You know, if I light up this crowd real quick before Would class you say starts, that was because I asked people a lot. Like, what was <laughs> you were the like the opening yeah. act? Yeah, yeah, the you, warmer upper. You, you mind if I just warm them up? You know, before you get up there. No, honestly. Oh my gosh, that would probably be such a relief for teachers. <laughs> yeah, she's like, if he can, because you're in a club, you got to burn time. You know what I mean? Yeah. She's like, if he can shave off ten, man, that's that's ten less of oh, me God. trying to like, hold these think kids. Think of how attention. exhausted teachers she's are. Like, at if the end they'll of the just day. shut up if he talks out of his ass, like Ace Ventura. I, I'm in. So, okay, I want to ask you a few different things, but first of all, like you moved here. What was your intention when you moved to LA? Like, what did you actually want to do? Everything. But I, I thought the only access point was just like purely doing stand up comedy, because stand up is so to me is so like pure and open ended and so many like it's writing. So if you're in movie writing, come off of that. TV writing, it's performing. You it's thought acting. that from the beginning? From the very beginning, I, like because I I I liked I love directing, and that's what I learned in school too, and that's what I was doing at the end of college. You know, even on the show, I was I was directing, but in my head. I was just like, yo, I I think it'd be a better way to go if you just got attention through stand-up. And, and how did you know that without trying it? I guess I looked at other people's career. Everyone I thought, everyone I loved started in stand-up. And my parents you told me that when I was little about like Robin Williams, about Jim Carrey, about Adam Sandler. And they would always say that. They would go, you know who they started in stand-up? Eddie Murphy. Almost like they were trying they to encourage always... you to do it. With maybe subconsciously, because why would they always point that out? Like, I've literally never had my parents say that <laughs> about any performer. Like, you know where they started, Santa. Yeah. I don't know. My parents were, they've always been cool in entertainment. They always turned me on to the best fucking movies and at a very young age. Yeah. Going, like, a little too young, but I look back, I'm like, yo, I watched some great movies, like Risky Business and Blazing Saddles and, like, Eddie Murphy's first comedy album, or, or Eddie Murphy Raw, not his comedy album, Raw. I listened to, I watched with my mom because she said it, we should rent it when I was 10. The yeah. fucking opening fucking 10 minutes is about him fucking like making a girl come. And she, I, it, before that, it was about him telling doo doo jokes as a child. And my, we're watching it. My mom's laughing. She, but she's like, come on, Eddie, get, get back to the, come on, Eddie, get back, <laughs> get back to the shit, get back to the doo doo stuff. <laughs> yeah. I watched a lot of inappropriate things when I was a child, too. I wonder like how that affected us in our creativity. I think of it a lot, man. Yeah. But it, I think it's cool. I, I think there's anything I don't know. No, I listened to the Marshall Mathers LP a lot whenever I was like 10 years old. Whenever <laughs> I, I was 10. But I, you know what? That's interesting. And I don't know if it's for better or for worse, but like that al- it's that album, it's got a like, it's really explicit. It's really mm-hmm. shocking. I think it's inspired my stand up comedy more than anything. Tell me and how. And I, I just realized that in the last year. Because I was listening to it again, listening to it a lot earlier this year. And I just loved it. And I've, everything was so is so, is so profane in it and it's said with just like so much emphasism but it was like it's when i listen to it now it's funny and it's <laughs> yeah it's funny and i'm like i can't believe like he's he's clearly it's like him it's like he's mad at someone that someone got mad at him for saying the f word and he's like well here's everything else then <laughs> and i was and i realized i go i go oh dude that's what you've been trying to do with stand up yeah and i didn't realize that until like this year so, that i've been trying to do that but it, 
That's so interesting. So I want to point that (laughs) out. So it like just for me, what I want to now do, and I think for whoever is listening, is like trace something in your life that you love, that you listened to or watched on repeat. Yeah. And kind of figure out like what was the thesis statement of that piece of art you loved, and then. Are you using it in whatever you're doing now? Like, are you kind of using that thesis statement as a lens for your particular creativity? And if not, could you? And would that make it more interesting? What's yours? Would you? What's your ten-year-old help? You know. Well, I love what about Bob? (laughs) (laughs) Really? Did you watch that a lot? Yeah. You're not even a big movie gal. I'm not a big movie gal, but I love what about Bob because this is the thing I bonded with my dad about. (laughs) I think because it, if I put the lens through that, it was like because it's so weird. And Murray and uh, who else? Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus. Oh my god! And there's this other girl. Yeah, that's a weird movie. It's so weird, but I think that that for me is the lens. Like any, all things unique, like doing weird things because it feels good, and that's kind of what that movie seemed like because it was really ahead of its time and how freaking bizarre it was. And talking about mental health, like not a lot of movies at that time were talking about mental health. So I think that there's a, a couple different factors that, and then like obviously Billy Joel and like. Billy Joel and Fiona Apple, like, they really influenced me when I was younger. And I, like, but my decision to kind of, like, copy some things they did was more distinct. Fiona Apple talked about how in her music she likes to assume the audience is smart and use really kind of, like, old or interesting words to reintroduce them to the lexicon. So I'm like, well, that seems like a cool idea. Like, I want to assume that my listeners are smart. So I'm going to do that. And then something Billy Joel does that he's talked about, but like also if you just like listen to his body of work, you can tell his song shift or his voice shifts from song to song. And I think as an actor, like that's the way I still like kind of have my acting is through the songs, like by serving the song rather than the song serving me, like whatever comes out of me, like I'm going to sing to that song because I'm serving the song. The song isn't serving me. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Not quite. Billy Joel's voice like adapts and changes to different songs. So like him on the longest time is very different from him on the River of Dreams, okay. right? So and he he adapts. so like he adapts his vo- his voice takes on like a different kind oh, of yeah. tone depending on the song he sings. I think I have a tendency to do that too because of my acting background and because of that influence from Billy Joel. I think that's great because it allows you to shift from different genres. Like that's what I like about different directors. You know, is that. I don't know. I just watched The Joker, and it's made by Todd Phillips, and he's known for making comedies. He made Old School. He made School for Scoundrels. Mm-hmm. He made, you know, all this fucking like, you know, yeah. very overt comedies. And this is a this is like the darkest movie I've ever seen in my life, you know. But he's a talented filmmaker. But and he probably makes decisions that like no one else would think of because he has that comedy yeah. brain. Like I remember my acting instructor in college, Rob, said to me. You make the choices that no one else would ever make. Like there was this one line that I don't even remember what it was, but we had to do this like play for scene study. And it was basically like, she's like, will they hear us in the other room? But instead of me just like saying that, like as an aside, I said it loud so that like the kind of choice was like my character wanted the people in the other room to hear it. Yeah. But everyone else is like whispering it. And he's like, I don't know where you got that from in this reading, but like that's such an interesting choice. He's like, but what you need to work on is like reining it in because you want to go all out and be big and be crazy. <laughs> and because that's really kind of how I tend in life. Like I'm a little yeah. overdone in life. Dude, you're the most <laughs> – and I'm not just saying – you're like the most explosive performer, personality person i've ever met in my life and it's like raw unbridled yeah like, i like i remember 
just on the show with you on the set, watching you do acting warm ups. You know, like doing like bend over, like acting school, like bend yeah, over warm with up Hazen. shit, and you'd get us. And I thought you were uh, like kind of joking. I thought you're fucking around at first, <laughs> and then I I kept watching, and I was like, well, she's fucking the best here, so there's something there. And then I kept watching, and I thought like all like I don't know, I can't keep up with you. You're insane, <laughs> you know. Well, but you- you're very much your own performer. Like if you give you a script it's gonna come out fucking lauren lagrasso yeah you know that's, and that's true. great that's great i know I, I i wonder why it didn't work though you, you know it didn't work when i was trying to be an actor like why if if it's that business yeah it I, is because i think it's because i couldn't fit in that box and like it's it's not easy to understand yeah, like i'm not an ingenue i'm not a character business. actor i'm not like i'm kind of a character actor but I have like some sex appeal. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's like where do I fit in to the trajectory? And that's why I do think it's so important to make your own work. Like I do think – actually my friend just cast me and he's like making a feature film. So I'm going to be filming that. Like yeah. so I'm acting again. And I think that's the way it's going to come to me. Like that's why I ultimately decided to go to music and to broadcasting and producing. And it's like, you know, those doors are opening. Like, why am I going to bang my head against a door that doesn't want to open for me when there's one right to the side that I could walk through? And then guess what? The other door is going to be like right next to the door I just walked through and it will be super simple to walk through it. Boom doors, motherfucker. Yeah. And it's like, I talk about it a lot, but it's like, for me, I decided I had to take a long way around and that's all right. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like you're saying, why did I do stand up first if I wanted to do like filmmaking and saw this other shit? It's because I, I don't know. I know it's the long run, but I want to do all those things. I don't want to just make films. Right. I want to do, you know, and I, here, oh, here's the thing. When I came out, I thought about how some people just start out acting and I'd already had a taste for stand up, and I knew how hard it was and I'd already, well, I learned, I'd been playing guitar for Uh-oh. 12 years. Sorry. Oh, that's, that's Joanne. our, that's our agents. That's our, that's, <laughs> that's my, my agent, Joanne LaGrasa. Oh, we should have took it. Should we take it? Fuck yeah. Why not? Hi, how's it going? You're on my podcast. You what, honey? You're on my podcast. Hey, Mama Lo. Jordan. Oh, hi, honey. How are you? This is Jordan. Amazing. We're doing the podcast, and you are too. What up? <laughs> We're talking about how badass I am at everything, like acting and stand up and ladies, <laughs> ladies, ladies. No, you're the best. And Mike's how the best. Are you? Too. How are you? What's new with you? I'm still doing. I was doing stand up. I'm auditioning a lot. And I'm uh, working on my films. Got a couple films and movie scripts I'm working on. It's going well, though. Wow, that's awesome, Jordan. And that's I just great. started a weed delivery job. So there that's we go. That's perfect for you. Beautiful, right? Well, Mom, thank you. What kind of delivery job? Weed, Mom. Delivering W-E-E-D. weed. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Hopefully oh, I don't oh, get robbed, right? Mom, it's your favorite thing, marijuana. I, the pot. Oh, my favorite thing. Oh, gosh. I can't she, handle She I doesn't handle like it. it. She doesn't like it. She says she tried it once, and it made her very nervous. Well, you don't like <laughs> it? You so better love anxiety, it. I had so much anxiety, Jordan. I, like, literally, I was, like, I, it, was, it was awful. I had so much anxiety. I wish I like, could have I been there. Oh. Mom, did you know the first time I smoked pot was with Jordan? Yeah, it, was a, it was a hoot. No, I did not know that. I turned he corrupted around, me. You, and it's a gateway drug. <laughs> oh, my God. It's a gateway drug. So, so true. she ever gets hooked on cocaine? Hey, I want to tell alcohol. you both, though. You got to, don't do any vaping. This is, like, so dangerous. I'm, I watched this whole program on it. <laughs> don't vape, please. Neither one of you. Don't vape. Please don't vape. Please. <laughs> it's so dangerous. Mm. Don't I won't do it. I'm telling you. I won't please, do it. 
He's literally doing it right I, now. I won't do it at all. And I won't do it from some cheap shop around the corner either that I got it from at all. Zero oh times God. after this. No, I'm serious because there's people that have ended up in the hospital. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm dying right now. I'm dying right now. All right, Mom. Oh, God, all right. Please don't say that. Now I'll live. I'll keep it going for you. For you, baby. And all the viewers at home. And for Mike. <laughs> Tell Papa Lo I said, yo. Papa yo. Papa yo. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Papa okay, Yojo well, in the truth. Good to talk to you, Jordan. It's good to hear your voice. It's we amazing to hear your voice. In California, we have to get together. Hell, yeah. Let's All do right. it. I'd love to come and see you perform someday. I'd love to come and watch you um, do your stand-up routine. Oh, okay, my little routine. I'll keep <laughs> it cut and dry for you. <laughs> I'll keep it cut and dry Mom, for you. she's okay with sex stuff. I just warned her ahead of time. She watched Johnny do a whole monologue about sodomy. He really gets it in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, Johnny He's is big wrong. into the dick jokes. I wouldn't even know what it was about unless you explained it to me. So, yeah. I would have just been like wondering the whole time. He's talking about a pussy, which yeah. is like a butt pussy. But it's all imaginary it. stuff. I haven't had sex I would yet. not have understood it unless you explained it to me. Jordan's saving so. himself for marriage. Yeah. Isn't that yeah, nice? Good. Yeah, that's her name, too. <laughs> <laughs> Marriage, my baby, I left her. I left her in Rhode Island. All right, Mom. Well, mom, thank uh, you so I'm much. I'm killing with your mom right now. <laughs> <laughs> we need to give this. Mom, we got to go. Love you. Yeah, okay, listen. Nice to talk to you, Jordan. Okay, honey, I'll talk to you later. Okay, lots of love. Love, love. you both. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What were we talking about? Fucking everything. Oh, acting. Yeah, and then I was like, why do you think it didn't? work like oh why didn't it work for you yeah so like why why do you think business there's just an agent and a manager and representation for you yeah that's the only thing and you had some bum ass motherfucker for a year and you didn't realize it but who are you to know yeah and then and then then a bunch of different ones i've had so many managers and agents and like none of them have been able and i mean i think some of the onus lies on me too like maybe i didn't get the right materials but you know how many different agents have you gone through I don't know. I've actually like been through more, more than agents than boyfriends, I think. Uh, uh, round three. <laughs> the first one that left because I don't know why she left. She left without telling me. Um, that sucks. <laughs> then the second one, Marlene. Then I had DDO. I had a manager. She went out of business. Mm. And then right now I am with my friend Taylor, who's amazing. But like I just haven't gotten her the right materials because it's not my top priority at the moment. So... That person we were speaking of earlier that I said would never book me, I hooked that motherfucker up with my agent. Whatever. Yeah, or I didn't, no, I wouldn't say, I shouldn't say that. I didn't hook him up with my agent. I said, yo, this guy's legit. You should email him because he takes calls or whatever. Yeah. That's what, like I said to all my friends. I go, this guy you should email because they would take a meeting with you. And I don't know if they'll take you, but they'd take a meeting with you for sure. For sure. Because, okay, so earlier today, Jordan and I were talking about this person that we both know who, you know, Books a lot of shows, but never will book Jordan. I've for known some him reason. forever. Yeah, yeah we're fr- friends. Yeah, friends. Yeah, it's it's very interesting because a lot of people in stand up make artificial friendships to get shows. It's not to create it slimy. Sometimes it's just business. Is where people go to a show to like support it, and afterwards they'd be like, "Hey, I'd love to do your show next time you have a show." Yeah, it's, it's kind of the way it is. They're like, "If I'm friends with this guy, I'll be in his clique, and they're doing shows." So right, I'm in his clique. It's networking. And I've ne- I've never done that. Like I've never asked anyone to do a show. I've I've one friend that did give me shows. Actually, he he did a, a spa- spot at the improv space he used to rent out, 
And he'd let me do spots if I asked every couple months. But everyone else, my friend, like good friends that run shows, don't book me. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? But I, I how mean, do you whatever, not take that it. personally? I do take it personally. I do. So what do you I do to deal do. with it? Do you call them out? There's nothing I can. Some extent, sometimes in light ways. Like I wouldn't. I don't know if I've ever told that that about that. But I think. I wouldn't be above it. I would casually. I've mentioned it to other people. I go that person. They, they don't book me. I, I guess I tell our other friends. So hoping I, that's what get I back do. To them, like that's what I do. Telephone. Yeah, I should. Yeah, I should. Just you know what? It's them. it's interesting, and I, I'm really glad you brought this up because this is a topic we've never breached, which is like when you're creatively butthurt. Yeah. Because it happens all the time. Like I I've had several people who I've helped and that I felt like should help me, and what I've realized is first of all, like Lauren, just like note to self and whoever's listening, like. Don't ever do something that you don't want to do. Don't do something nice that you don't want to do because you probably won't ever get it back in return. You have to do it just because you want to do it. But then when people slight you, I think you can either like let it fester and like hold it against them secretly for a long time, which I think being from the Midwest, we're prone to do. (laughs) Or you can call them out on it and and simply ask why. Like instead of – this is something I actually talked – to a friend of mine about earlier, she was saying, I, she, this girl said something to her that made her question her talent. She was f- photographing people on a shoot and this girl asked to see one of the pictures and she said, wow, this turned out so much better than I thought it would. And my friend had taken it personally, like that it meant something about her talent level because of past trauma she's been through in the industry and because she's been doubted so often. Yeah. But instead of taking it personally, what you can do in those situations is just be genuinely curious. Like, she, I suggested to her next time, like, just as a person, I'm curious, like, why you thought that? Because it could have been something to do with that girl feeling like she wasn't pretty or like she was bloated or like she didn't think that the product looked good, you know? Might have had nothing to do with Taylor. Might have had something to do with her. But either way, she could have clarified it. And I think in your situation, you could just, like, earnestly ask that guy, hey, you know, I noticed that you booked a lot of our other friends. I'm curious, like, why you haven't booked me yet because I'd really love to do the show. Dude, I got you. And uh, more than that, I guess I realize, you know, whatever, you know, I do take it personally and I do think about it. But ultimately, the thing that bothers me is very superficial, you know, and I realize that I got to think about the long game. I'm like, you know, it's a show. The thing about shows is it's just cool to get up. It is good for you to perform in front of good audiences. So that's a growing thing that I'm kind of kept from because I don't ask to be on shit. Why don't you ask? Like, what's standing in your way? I don't know. I guess because it'd be nice, but they're also not that big big of a deal. A lot of them are very, like, bringery show. Like, I don't know. Actually, it's like the shows you've been to. That right. You came to at Flappers. They're, they're like that and sometimes a little worse than that. Sometimes a little better than that. There are better levels. Way better levels, Well, So actually. what Jordan is saying is sometimes when you're in anything. comedy or you're in music, like you have to bring a minimum number of people to the show or else basically oh, they won't bilk you again. And with comedy, it's even tougher because not only does a person have to buy a ticket, yeah. there's a two-drink minimum. So every time <laughs> you're yeah. asking your friends or your network to come out and support you, it's like a big financial commitment. And I think comedians are in one of the toughest places in the industry because of that. Oh, yeah. it's like Well, it's like... I don't know. Stand-up doesn't pay a lot anyways. Here's my thing. If I was all in on stand-up only, like if that was my main only avenue and I didn't have acting, wasn't doing it writing, I would. I would have to. I would have to do that because you got to, like if that was my only muscle. But I'm like, I don't know. I always think about, because I like fighting, I think about mixed martial arts or whatever, like there's kickboxing, jujitsu, 
And it's like the best kickboxer in the world is going to beat like the best UFC guy that's good at kickboxing. He's going to beat him at kickboxing no matter what. It's like not even close. Like when Floyd Mayweather fought Conor McGregor, that's he he's fighting in boxing. And they're fighting in boxing. So Floyd's going to win that no matter even though Conor's like the best boxer in UFC. That's the way it is. So in like stand up and acting and filmmaking, like I'm not centered in, on any one single thing. I guess business wise and in most respects acting I am just because that's one that I've like I've kind of put forth of dedication like and because it's job wise monetarily. It's like if I get this, I need to put everything else to the side. Right. You know? And I think it's also somewhat of a straighter path than stand up. Like you get an oh, agent and more. you go on auditions. I mean, it, it, Ooh, that's what, what I love. It doesn't have the bullshit of like trying to make friends with the guys put on the hot shows right. to get on their show because in acting it's very, I loved it. I just sent out a bunch of emails to agents. I had a couple meetings. I got one and you go to auditions and you try to perform and it's fucking, there's so many, oh, God damn, I just went to one today. It's like you go to so fucking many that you don't get. Like so many, and I'm, it's fun. It's I'm great. I'm super grateful, but it's fucking. It, it's hard, but it, in many ways, to me, it's more straightforward. I go, I just go, I, I audition, I give them my best shot. I don't gotta do petty. Like when I go, I don't know. I know some people try and chum up casting directors. I don't. I, I'd be fucking nice as fuck, and if they want to talk, I'll talk. But like, I I really don't. You know, some people send fucking postcards and pictures on them, saying like, "Oh, thank you so much for my shit." The people I have friends that fucking send. Ca- fucking casting director's gifts i could never maybe i should i don't know maybe i'd get a job I, I could never but to me i've gotten jobs not just doing it my way just doing it straightforward yeah not- i think that that's actually what served you in acting yeah. like i cared so much i cared way too much i did yeah. so many things and it didn't matter like i think ultimately like having that attitude that you're just in it for the joy of it and that you don't need it yeah. is what gets you the jobs. When people feel like you want like need something, not want something, but need something, the desperation wears off and then they're like, "Oh, I don't want to be anywhere near that." But because you go in and you're like, "Hey, I'm here, I'm going to do my job, then I'm going to leave." Yeah. I think that that attitude is kind of welcomed, especially when there's so many high maintenance people in this industry. That's that, that's when you say I love doing my job and leaving. I love that. It's I like perfect that in for life. You. you do job, you fucking get over it, you know? I have a question. So you actually actively dislike networking like and and you like clown on networking. There are people who are really good at it. There are some people who wish they were good at it, but they're not. And then there are people like you, which I think are few and far in between. But what's your advice for people out there who are either like you who think it's like dumb and like laughable or that are just not good at it? Like how do people like you still manage to break through in a town that is all about connections? Well, I've been super fortunate with everyone I've met. And it's funny because I do clown on networking, but everything that everything good that's happened to me in Los Angeles has come from friends that I've known, actually. Right. It's come from you and it's come from... It's because of relationships. Like yeah. networking is such a corporate word. I think that's why you hate it. Yeah, you find dude, it to be phony. But like you build actual relationships. Here's the, here's the thing. It's like we're doing creative shit, right? Mm-hmm. And my two best friends in Los Angeles that I've met have been you, have been my buddy Rishi Arya. And we just purely have met by uh, going to, I don't know, being in the same creative circles and then talking about shit we like and bonding over it. And like being me, there for each other. Me and you, I don't know, we used to talk about like, 
like whatever we just like had a good sense of humor and we played music a little bit in college together and we acted but like i don't know the sense of humor i think you always laughed with me a lot i don't know what the fuck exactly we laughed about but we laughed and when i moved to open mics like you're doing nothing at all these open mics and i started seeing rishi and we would have the same opinions about comedy just we would just have them and then we had mutual interests like i remember being at flappers not knowing what to say and just say and I, explain flappers is a comedy oh, club yeah. here in burbank <laughs> flappers comedy club in burbank they have an open mic almost seven days a week back when i moved out here at least i went up on stage and i couldn't i couldn't think of anything to say and i didn't want to say my old material because you do that there's a there's a thing about saying your same jokes even though no one's laughing but it's productive that night i didn't want to do it because there's a different muscle where you try and interact with people that you can develop as well. So I just started saying things I like. And I said, Mortal Kombat. And Rishi was like front row. He's like, yeah. And I, didn't, I had no follow-up. I go, Fievel Goes West, which is a great movie. <laughs> I love that movie. Right? Yeah, I had the yeah. CD when so I was little. Up? That's why we're sitting at this it's fucking table together. one of my first together. CDs. It's a great one. And Rishi goes, yeah. And it was like, I said, it was, I don't know. Made good friends with him. Right. But all the good stuff out of acting has come out of both of you guys, mm. actually. Well, I think – so that's great For advice. Me. So rather than focusing on like, I got a network, I got a network, focus on making genuine connections. And you know what? And you guys didn't – it's not like you guys hooked me up with some agent or plugged me in. Like you guys just told me the correct steps. They go, this is what you should do if you want to do this mm-hmm. and guided. And I, it, but then I, I did have – like creative like partnerships with both of you and I still do you know yeah that's the interesting thing is you can give everybody the tools but most people don't ever use them and I think that the reason why you have had the success you've had and why you're going to continue to grow is because when you learn something that you can do to make your life better you do it and for some reason and I'm actually really guilty of this I don't always do that like I'll know exactly what I need to do but I'll just like actively avoid it not because I want to, but there's something in me that's blocking me. You know what's one piece of advice I've been thinking of with networking and not networking slash just being yourself, how to make the best creative relationships is that when you want to be something, you should tell people that you want to be it. Mm-hmm. And I've, I kn- I've noticed changes when I started saying to myself, tell people about this. Because when I was here, I just did stand up. And then after about three years of only doing stand up comedy, I was like, yo, I, I used to act in college. Don't don't I want to get into TV shows? What's the – so I started saying that to people. I would When people would be like, what's up? I'm like, oh, I'm trying to get my acting going. And I would say that, and I said it to you, and I said it to Rishi, and you guys both gave me great advice on how to co- try and contact different agents. Mm-hmm. And I did that again a couple years later with filmmaking and writing because I got to direct my first short film. I got a budget because Rishi fucking paid for it because he was like, yo, I got the script, man, if someone knew how to make shit. And I was like, yo, I'm not how to make shit, yo. And then writing after that, I've been now I'm trying to get like screenplays sold. And it's because I consciously started telling people and I still and I'm trying to do that more when I'm just at open mics. I'm like, yo, I'm working on the screenplay. Tell everyone. And you also and, just you know, stating it out loud alone is so powerful. Like, it really that's, makes a difference. I believe that's why I got my internship on the Ellen show because I just went around junior and I was telling everyone I'm going to be an intern on the Ellen show. I don't know anyone. Yeah. But I, then you have to do it because yeah. you said it so many times. Right. I said it so many times. <laughs> and also like. I spoke it into existence, but right before I got my first gig speaking at Girl Boss at the Girl Boss rally, I literally had had a conversation the week before with my dad, and he was like telling me that this guy who owns the local market back home in Gross Point 
had a vision that I was like going to be a speaker. He was listening to a podcast. He's like, I just, I heard this public speaker and I'm like, and I saw Lauren doing it. And I'm like, yeah, I really want to do it, but I don't know how, like, I want to start speaking publicly. And my dad's like, yeah, you'd be great at that. And then a week later, Girl Boss re- reached out and was like, would you like to speak at the Girl Boss rally? Well, fucking it. Yeah. It's like- but it's like, it can happen that fast. And it doesn't always. So don't get discouraged if you say but something. But it won't happen if you but don't do it. But it won't happen if you don't do it. And it certainly won't happen if you can't even admit it to yourself. Yeah. The first step is just saying it out loud to yourself. Like, God, I'd love to do that. And like focusing on the good <laughs> feeling about what it might be like Dude, instead of all the obstacles. Tell me, when I started doing open mics out here, everyone asked me if I was an actor. And I think I, f- I felt like – and people honestly still do. I still – like literally last night I was getting shit. People were saying I was too cute to fucking do stand-up or whatever. Wow. My peers. So you get di- my peers. You get discriminated against for your looks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. Big time. Big time. And I remember at the time being real shy and I didn't – and I, maybe that's part of – maybe that's part of what put me in a hole where I didn't want to tell people that I wanted to be a filmmaker, that I wanted to be an actor. Why do you think that was? Why do you think you didn't want to tell people? I don't – I think I – Maybe it was partly because I wanted them to just take me seriously as a stand-up because I know what a hard, like, to get good at that. It takes mm-hmm. like 10 years of really, you know, doing it all the fucking time. But I'm thinking back, like, comedically, I think I was sitting there stewing about how badass. I was like, these motherfuckers don't know I'm going to be an actor and fucking make all the best movies. Motherfucker, I'm going to make all this good shit happen. <laughs> yeah. Why do you think it's important know. as a creative to have more than one creative outlet? Like, how do you think that doing all those things, because you do stand up, you play music, you write, you direct, you act, like, how does it, how does one serve the other? Well, and I, how did you know which one you wanted to take the lead? Ah, uh, well. So let's do one at a time. One at a time. <laughs> well, number one, I don't know. If you got a lot, I feel like I've got a, like a lot of energy. I got a lot of feelings and anxiety. I'll get like I dance a lot in my room. I fucking mm-hmm. listen to music. You're I a good dance. Dancer. I dance. I sing. I sing in my room all the fucking time. You know, I draw some sometimes. Not a fucking lot. But oh, wait, can I just say one way you express creativity in the mundane? At Jordan's old apartment, he literally <laughs> drew a huge ass drawing of a dinosaur on his wall. <laughs> oh yeah. That Did fucking... you have to paint over that when you left? I probably should have. I didn't. <laughs> I probably should have, but I didn't put that in a song. Um, but I, I remember one time being very nervous before one of our shows. I don't know why. I think it was just like a pig and whistle show yeah. that me and you were going to perform. But it was like, I don't know, it was like a Friday night and I wanted to do well. And I, fe- I remember feeling very nervous and I couldn't like keep playing our songs to practice because I was like, I feel like I've practiced them uh-huh. to death. But I felt a lot of fucking angst. And I remember drawing like for like and i i remember having anxiety while i was drawing but like trying to get it out somewhere just so you could focus the energy like that's a a great tip to become more present is like if all you can do is focus on something that's stressing you out like do something that all you can do is like focus on exactly the task in front of you yeah like when you're drawing if you're really drawing something i mean obviously you can have like music in the background but you pretty much have to focus on that task you can't be like scrolling your phone while you're drawing yeah. a dinosaur yeah, centering your focus, like your literal focus on a point can sometimes zero you out. I've noticed that sometimes. They're just like staring out at nothing. Yeah, that's what, that's what meditation. meditators yeah, just, uh, yeah. do. Yeah. So you think that doing these different things is important because it can either like take your mind off of your anxiety surrounding another creative path or it can like one thing enhances the other, right? Well, yeah. And sometimes I think of that. I'm like, what do I like doing the most? I, and sometimes I still think about that. I'm like... What do I like? What do you like doing the most? Well, I, th- I think it 
it honestly it bounces around through everything because sometimes I'll go a week without playing guitar and then when I pick it up there's ways that I connect with it that I can't connect in the other ways and I know I never will be able to actually and that's what yeah and there's times with writing where it's like I do it to death and I have to put it down and not think about it. I was like, I need to think about something. And stand up, too. Stand up, I do. I, you put it down sometimes? These, these days, I've been thinking I can only I can only do like four days of my sets in a row. And then I, I, if I'm going to do something else, I've been going to more like improv jams to do that because you don't have to have a set. Or I've been going to mics where you pull an idea out of a hat. Because mm. I was like, dude, I can only do four days of doing a set. Because I can't write anything new. Something creatively is starting to happen. It's to our like Saborio. That. Yeah, like like even tonight, I'm gonna go to a mic and open mic. Yeah, like last Saturday, I went to the same mic and I had a hot fucking feeling, dude. <laughs> I had a motherfucking hot feeling because I was doing them Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and a fucking lot, and I was rolling into a hot spot and I was planning on it. And it fucking brought the heat. And tonight I'm going to the same spot and I don't have the same energy like at all. So, okay, <laughs> let's just explain for somebody who is listening to this and wants to get into stand-up. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it, first of all. But, but, I do it. It's but great. like, Whatever. How did you get started? Why are open mics important? Explain that whole world. Well, you got to learn stand-up by doing open mics yeah, or by performing. You know, you can't just like... And you can do these in any city, yeah, right? Yeah, if you like want to do... They even have them in Michigan, where we're from. And, and whatever, it's all public speaking. Mm-hmm. Like, you can perform one thing, but if you want to be... I don't know, if you want to tell jokes and interact with the crowd. And everyone has... I don't know, everyone has their different version of it, too. That's why sometimes, and a lot of times, honestly, recently, I'm like, why am I doing stand-up? I really... <laughs> sometimes I think about it. Why are you? I don't... Because it's so fun. <laughs> it's, like, more fun, and I'm getting better at it. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, so is well... That, why isn't well, that well, enough? It is. Well, yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's just very hectic. It's a lot harder than like I can. I can pick up my guitar in my room after um I just made a hot cup of coffee <laughs> and listened to a little Goo Goo Dolls and smoked a joint and yeah. I can pick up my guitar. It's like 10 a.m. I can fucking rock the fuck out. I can even record it. And I can post it and I get it and that's cool. But stand up, yo. Like last night, you got to do the work. You got to go to a place <laughs> that you think is hot. You got to park there. You gotta hope you get up or you think you'll go up. Man, I spent the last two nights have been very depressing. I went to Fanatic Salon last Why night. Why was it depressing? Because it was a hot, hot mic I went to, full of friends. Went there. It's a great place. It was hot, hot, hot. But I didn't go up till 1 a.m. And it was dead, dead, dead. And I drove all the way home and I was so tired. And it was like, what did I do? And it cost five bucks. And I was like, what did I do? How I do you like, recover from that? Uh, I don't know. I went to an audition today and killed it. And then I went to an open mic after today, earlier. And uh, that made me feel depressed again about standing up. <laughs> and that's why I have a r- low feeling going into tonight at Flappers. So, so <laughs> but how I, are I'm, you I'm, remedying that? Like if somebody had a bad performance or like wrote a piece and it sucked or like, you know, they're parenting their kid and they just failed but they have to like get back up and do it again. Like, how do you get yourself back in that mental state of excitement when you feel depressed about your current situation? I think I'm doing it right now. Me am I and- the thing you do? <laughs> Everybody, uh, listen, you'll feel much better. Dude, I left that <laughs> open mic today, and here's what I, it was like: a, it's an eight-person room. People sign up. It's supposed to be like eight or nine people in. Only five people showed up. You know, it's pretty dead. Everyone was pretty low fucking energy, whatever. I fake laughed at fucking, like, everything. I tried doing good. 
And then I went up, and I've already not feeling it because of last night, and I don't have I don't have anything terribly new to me that I've written in the last couple of weeks. Like written, I don't know, I have a couple things, but then that fucking great. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the guy in the front row fucking just whips his phone out like right the oh, fuck away. Oh, Lisa was in his dick. That's what I thought you were gonna say. No, that would have been fine. That would have been way funnier. <laughs> that would have fucking killed. I would have gladly brought bring the dick and the balls, please, in the asshole. Anything than just I make look. little quotes. I was for like, the I just fake on. laughed at you for seven minutes, motherfucker. You first year bitch, and you're going up there and you're gonna whip up your phone. I made him laugh, and then he whipped out his phone. I go, who the fuck? You can't go forty minutes. You. I was like, ah, oh, I get how old people act. Anyways, <laughs> I don't know. It bummed me out, but just like everything bums you out. Like I, I'm getting better at LA because LA is fucking hard. Just like all the yeah. shit, and I'm getting better at just being like, well, if it sucks, it sucks. Whatever. On to the next thing. And I was going to this, so I'm going to this, and I had an hour to kill, so I went to a fucking park nearby, actually, it was beautiful, I was like, dude, you know, you know, whipped off the shoes for a minute, had the guitar in the back, you know, I fucking jammed in the fucking park, you know what I mean? Post yeah. a little Instagram story, a little sexy gratification there, you know what I mean? <laughs> So, okay, so basically if we distill all this down, what you're saying is like just the same thing again. Like when you're feeling depressed in one area, if you can go to another creative area of your life, it's going to bring you back to that place of bliss. And reconnecting with nature also really helps. <laughs> yeah, well, like I think like depressing shit and bad shit is just going to happen. But if you're a creative person, you really like you can't let those like stop you from doing the next thing. And if you just throw yourself into your art, I don't know. That's what I've been doing today. It sucked last night. It sucks, sucked earlier today. I'm going to do it again tonight because I think it's going to fucking come back. Get back on the horse. You know, this podcast feels good. I think yeah. we're kind of killing it. I think we're killing it. I kill, in, I, in the park, I felt good about that. I was rocking the guitar. I was like, yo, okay. So I, I reminded myself. I was like, yo, you're good at this shit. You're good at this. Right. Probably, you know, it's fun. Expression. I played Kid Rock only God knows why. I did my shit. I brought some tears to my own ass. Whatever. It's cool. But you, I don't know, you just, it's, okay, remember that book I gave you? The War of Art. The War of Art. Love it. It was about how Stephen you should just- Stephen Pressfield. Everyone should read that. Here's your whole podcast, everyone. <laughs> just read that fucking book. It's about, just wake up and, if you want to write a book, wake up every day and write five pages. Mm -hmm. And then write another five. Don't every day at 8 a.m. Talking about it tomorrow. Yeah. 8 a.m. to, like, make it like a job because, and I heard somebody on fucking, another musician say this last night. They're like, you can't control creativity, so just show up for work and it'll come and it'll come. Yeah, I don't know. It's like everything. Auditions. Some of them are gonna suck. Some of them be good. So just fucking go to them. Stand. I don't know. I might fucking bomb tonight, dude. It might be embarrassing, especially because I talked a lot of shit last week's. So. What do you do when you bomb? <laughs> like how you just get in your fucking car and you go home and you go to bed. You wake up, go to another one the next day. That's what you do. Okay. <laughs> Quick question. So we talk about fear a lot on the podcast and like redefining your relationship with fear, taking it out of the driver's seat, putting it at least shotgun, hopefully in the yeah. back, maybe in the trunk if you're feeling really frisky. Yeah. So maybe play with it a little <laughs> bit. I don't know. What's your relationship with fear? I'm so scared all the time of everything. I am. I have so much anxiety. How do you get through it? I just, I don't know. I'm, and because in some ways I feel like it's getting harder but I'm getting better at it. You know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> like both things so are like getting So like your fear tolerance is building. Yeah. I mean, I- And I, how is that happening? I think just by growing, just by doing, just by doing it. I don't know. Right. So basically like you see the thing that scares you, which is most things, what? everything. It's a scary place Dude, to live. Dude, the worst live. thing is like bombing in front of everybody, mm -hmm. you know? But you still keep going toward it. Like, do you find some sort of thrill in putting yourself in that sort of situation oh yeah for sure well that's what it's like high stakes gambling it's like 
I might kill, but I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. What they like, I don't know. I don't know for sure, you know. But, yeah, dude, I told Rishi last week because we did, like, three mics. We did fucking mic and a mic, and then we did flappers, and he hosted, and I fucking crushed, and I talked a lot of shit, and we got in the car afterwards, and we went and picked up some weed at 2 a.m., mm-hmm. and he goes, man, stand up. What do you? And might, might I say, what's interesting is I've I've been doing it for eight years, Rishi's probably been doing it for about 10 now. And Rishi's Rishi's starting to get some good shit, man. He's starting to get some spots at the improv. Because I fucking bothered him. I was like, you need to go down there to the open mics. And they started giving him spots. So he's doing that. And I had a good night. I had a good, we had a great night last Saturday. And he goes, man, stand up. What do you think? I go, dude, I just feel like it's getting more fun than ever and harder than ever. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's interesting that that dichotomy can live together yeah, like those two things that seem like they're so at odds actually are right next to each other i'm getting better it's like and the song it's Freak getting Show. tougher <laughs> it's getting tougher yeah and i'm getting better yeah that's it that's like a resounding thing of everyone that comes on like just because you made it through one piece of the puzzle like one piece of the fear puzzle doesn't mean you're done like life will keep testing you to make sure you really want it i think like you know a lot of actors that have made it, I don't know the shit, but the actors that have made it, they'll talk about how you're you're honestly, no matter how successful you get, you're always worried about your next job. And I think, you know, from a business sense, you can connect to that. But I think every creative person, because every, every fucking creative person you know, you think, even after they have a hit. You're they, like, what if that's my last song I ever write? And I think that's just what, that because that's what creative creativity is. Because the thing you just made, the reason why you think it's so cool is because you think nothing will be ever be better. So then after you make it, you're like, oh, shit, well, I do have to make something better or something. Yeah. You know? So you've talked a lot about partnerships, and we obviously had an amazing one in Lojo and the Truth. Yeah. And, you know, there came a point where I realized, because when we first started playing, I had no idea you wanted crazy. to do stand-up more than music. Like, I thought oh, music really? was your baby boo. Really? Yeah, because that, like, never, that really? never came through to me. Yeah, because you weren't really doing stand-up when we first met. You didn't start doing it until I wasn't doing we were it like a, what, yeah. pretty deep into playing together. That's funny you say that, yeah. And so I had no idea. Like I, when you started doing it, I was like, "Oh, that's so cool." And then I started to slowly feel you slipping away. It's like any other relationship yeah. where it's like you realize, like, "Oh, like we don't actually want the same things. We love each other, yeah. but we don't want the same things." And finally, like we had this really like it was a wonderful discussion, but like a beautiful, loving discussion that was also really tough, where we talked about like well, I think you want to be a stand-up. And I'm like, and I really want to be a musician. So do you mind if I start playing alone? Yeah. Yeah, and because both, we both were smart enough to understand that they take so much. It's like I was saying, it's like, you know, I thought about how much it took to get great at stand-up. Because back then, I thought I was doing enough to get good at it. I was doing it once a week. Mm. It's not, that's not even, not even close. You got to do it three times a night for like, you know, seven years. Yeah. And then keep doing it every night. And then keep doing it every night, and you, and I knew the same about music. I think I think there's a point from doing both where I realized that that you can't just do one twice a week and then one once a week, and you right. it all. I was like, oh, it'll all come together, you know. You need to if you want to get great at something, you got to put. I don't know. You got to do the work. Got to come first because mm-hmm. because it's not like I I never stopped playing music, and you've never stopped acting. Yeah. All the, you know all these but but there and I don't know what to tell people because everything is different whether you want to be a painter if you want to be a screenwriter but something's got to come first you know and, well we all I mean even if you don't state it out loud we all secretly know what we love the best yeah you know and and for me 
yeah, it was the idea that I love, I love playing music. Yeah. I love playing music, but I thought of myself of as the musician and like, that's my thing. And dedicating your life to your guitar. My, I remember my part of it. I remember thinking like we had a show that was fine, but we didn't kill it. And my and like, I went home and I just, I was like, I'll just play until I get so fucking good motherfucker. And my hands were hurting. And I remember feeling like a little bit, but even more than that, it was, it was a feel thing for me. Yeah. It was a feel thing of, I don't feel that is my day in day out right. doing that. I feel that is maybe my once a week, you know, maybe getting in a stint where I'm like, playing a, a ton that month maybe you know mm-hmm. i do go through stints where I, I like i'm playing like constantly you know but it it goes away and with stand-up i i guess you know like i said i've had a couple bad nights or like boring nights for sure where i didn't want to do it but i went out and did it because i was like this is what you do so yeah fucking go do it man well again like this a relationship like there's not good it's not gonna be like bliss every minute yeah it's yeah. like anything i think your relationship to whatever your passion is in life is just like your any other relationship you have with a human yeah you know there's gonna be lulls there's gonna be times when it disappoints you there's gonna be times when it feels like there's an infidelity <laughs> there's gonna be times when it's bliss when it's really sexy and you're turned on all the time there's gonna be times when it's like boring there's gonna be times when you don't talk that much. i mean it's it's just like anything else yeah you know but but with the one you're willing to go through all those peaks and valleys because you can't live without it whatever bullshit you're willing to deal with that's what art form you'll fall into so right. acting i'm in stand-up i'm willing to deal with all the bullshit that comes with it yeah you know because it's your love and you're very resilient with music that's how mm-hmm. you've made it so far and because so, you weren't willing at that time to deal with the bullshit of acting and stuff was overwhelming. That business side of it was like it ate you up. Yeah, I well, I just couldn't feel good it's about myself. Yeah. Like I, I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't separate my worth from my feelings of failing. Like I felt like I was a failure because the acting wasn't going well, and because that—that's like a sickness to yeah. think that way. That can that and can fuck you up because like it, I couldn't find auditioning the joy in out it here anymore. is very different than acting. Too. Yeah, I and love that's acting. My like, God, if someone had hand me a play, like I would go do it in a second. Like, yeah. but I just—you <laughs> do every short film I've made. You vet it. Yeah, you do it like I love on it. a drop of a hat. I love it. Yeah, it's it's amazing. so much fun. It's so easy and it's so beautiful. And like I I love giving truth to a character, but. I just couldn't – I wasn't healthy. I wasn't right in the brain about it. What is it about um, music? Is it, was, is it that you would think you were so hurt over acting that led you – part of what made you fall in love with music? I just never in my whole life would have thought I'd get to write a song. Uh, like I – You're so good at it though. I know, but, but because I grew up not knowing I could write it. Didn't know I could write it till I was 23. And when I had that ability, I was just like in such – awe that I got to do the same thing that Billy Joel and Fiona Apple and Ani DeFranco and all these amazing songwriters that I admired did and that it was working. Yeah. I mean, it was really because it was the path of least resistance. It felt better than anything I had almost ever done because it was mine. Like not only was because I'd sang my whole life, but not only was I getting to sing, I was getting to sing the words and the melodies that I created in my head. That was my experience. And like getting to give that same experience that I had when I was in high school, when I'd read lyrics, while I listened to music and thought, oh my gosh, at least one person in the world understands me. Like the fact that I got to be the person that did that for someone else. It was just something I never considered. I only ever considered taking on someone else's words, either in songs or in movies. And I think the act of creating something from scratch was exhilarating to me. 
Yeah, that's one thing that has appealed to me about movies and making them is that it's always blown my freaking mind. Like honestly, when I got to Michigan State, and I'm not, I'm not trying to like exaggerate, but I loved movies growing up, but me thinking about how to actually make them, I couldn't conceive of how it was made in any sort of way that even I guess at a certain point I knew you set up a camera, but I'm like, how does it look like that, dude? How does it look like that? Because I would I would notice where some sh- things look like shit, and I we had a little home video camera, and I'd fuck around with that, and I really liked doing that, and I loved coming up with stories. I I did, I always came up with little stories and stuff, but as far as like seeing shit and making shit, blew my freaking mind, and it kind of still does, you know. How do you get back to that childlike wonder? How do you access little Jordan in the moments when you're feeling jaded? I don't know. So I do that more whenever I feel like melancholy and like reflective. If I've one of those moments where I feel like I got to go to the beach at midnight or some shit, carve my name into the sand that says I'm going to make it or some bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll have those things and I'll think about my whole life. And I'll think about like what, what literally I was like, I'm standing here. How did I get here? How did I get here? Because you're supposed to be here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think about like, how would I, you know. I don't know. The decision to be here is very hard. To be here in L.A. and yeah. on Earth? Well, no, it, to be here in L.A. For for me, it is, at least, just because I have people. And, and so not everyone has this, but I have people that I love. Like, fuck, my niece was bawling her eyes out, making me feel so bad when I last saw her a few weeks ago, you know? And it was really, you know, you really give up a lot. You know, she's nine, and you I amputate only see her ten days out of the year. You pieces of life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're gone, I, I'm gone long enough, I do... I think about that. I'm like, yo, she's nine. I see her nine days out of the year, which really is when I'm home. I, I see her four out of those days probably because she's got split time. So I'm like, you know, I do the math of her life and then me keep going here every year. I'm like, okay, how many years am I? I'm like, how many days total of her life am I ever going to spend with her? You know? How do you know the sacrifice is worth it? Because I keep going home and everyone's fucking poor and there's nothing to fucking do and everyone's poor and miserable. And so that's, yeah, everyone's fucking poor and miserable. So fuck it. Yeah, and I like doing this, and I and I have worth in this. I have no worth at home, not not, not to my family. I'm not saying, <laughs> but like, there's nothing. You there's feel no like, job or yeah. like, I have no. There's no. I have no worth, and here I feel like I have worth, and I let. I love doing every. You know, I love constantly waking up and thinking about creative things all day. Yeah, like all day, I'm constantly wake up thinking about like a screenplay I'm re- working on. I go do stand up. If I hopefully I have an audition, you know. Yeah. This kick, this kicks ass. You know? This this kick ass. This is a spot. This is a spot. <laughs> Counting this is a spot. This is a creative. This is this is a creative spot. It's on my calendar. It's a spot. So you and I, when when our little band like broke up, obviously like we still play together once in a while, but like we just decided we were going to do broke it. off. Yeah, Lauren just spread her own. She, you built your own vessel. But like, how do you think we did that There's in no such a, a loving way? Because so many people, they break off their creative projects and they end up hating each other. Would well, oh. you think it was just because we really realized it wasn't for each other's higher good? Like we literally consciously uncoupled yeah. our musical duo. But that, I don't know. It's like. It's because uh, we loved each other and we wanted to see each other do what was right for us even though it was hard like and you know the the greatest thing is if you are going through any sort of breakup whether it's like a creative one or a literal one at the time like i said this on a podcast we recently did together i thought it was the worst thing that ever happened to me i uh, thought that you leaving and doing your own thing meant that i didn't get to do music anymore and that like i was going to die basically 
not really, but you know, musically die. Really. And what I thought was the worst thing to ever happen to me ended up being the best thing to ever happen to me because it caused me to dig down, get deeper, find out what my style was alone, get way better at the guitar, become a much better singer, have to be more coordinated and really rely on myself. Because even though a lot of times like it would be like I was doing the booking or whatever, like it felt like toward the end, I needed you like almost as a security blanket. And it was really empowering to be like, no, I can do this absolutely on my own. Well, you got so good at guitar. Yeah. <laughs> that was a lot of it too. <laughs> you know, well, part of what's appealing in LA is that you can play if you have limited things, if you don't have a full drum kit, which we had. We had a guitar and a singer, which is cool. And once you could carry yourself, which you all always could, but once you, I guess you really, I don't know, you really got, you have gotten so good so fast. Well, I had to <laughs> to work a lot harder at it yeah. because I was, when we have someone we know we can rely on, it's, while it's a wonderful thing, we also use them as a crutch to not grow as much as we could. For sure. You know? You know, like, okay, I could never, I could, you know, maybe a world I could try and work out there as a songwriter for other people, but I know in my heart of hearts, I could never be a singer, like a performer on my own i could i think i could i do we play in a band we got a band yeah. i can play in a band i can play guitar and i can sing a little or whatever but i can't fucking do that but you can't you you can't you just you have the abilities to do that you know yeah well yeah and i've been singing since i was like three you know yeah. so but anyway i just i think it's a great example for those that are in a partnership that's not working it doesn't have to be this bloody battle and dude we've we've never stopped playing together never like there's not a year that's gone by that we haven't played live like we played the viper room last we, year together no we did yeah we did we played one song together at the viper room <gasps> that's right last, 2018 oh, yeah. oh that was so like, nice 2017 i think we played a show together. yeah we did we played the one like a whole there was show like a comedy show and you're back yeah i don't know man we've never stopped playing no. together there's not a year that's gone by that we haven't played live last year we played the viper room i know or you you played the viper room i played one fucking song with yeah you. sunday but, yeah. it's very good yeah yeah <laughs> so my final question for you jordan you, you ready fuck yeah I like to talk about the inner child. Obviously, I've brought up little Jordan a couple times. Little J-Dog. Little J-Dog. J-T, as I found out. So if you and young Jordan were standing in the same room, little five-year-old guy, like, trying to warm up his class with his butt jokes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what do you think he would say to you and why? Well, like, the kid would say to me? Mm -hmm. You two are standing in the same room. I don't know. I'm like, if you kid, I'd think that's fucking weird. If I saw me. Okay, but you <laughs> don't be like that. Like, take the deep version of it. Like, what would the younger version yeah, say? Yeah, like, seeing who you are now and what you're doing. What do you think he'd say to you? Oh, yeah, no. That's interesting. I think about that a lot, and it blows my fucking mind. And sometimes it sometimes it can be too much, to tell you the truth. And I've struggled with that kind of recently. If you're thinking about what the little guy would say to you? No, well, I think about my life and how much it's changed. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it <laughs> makes me struggle with reality a little bit. I don't know. Reality is a social Sometimes construct. I get stressed and I think, but I think about my, I, I think about how I used to live in Michigan and just the scenery is so different and just like what I see day to day in my life. And I'm like, that was my life. I was like, that was real, right? Like young Jordan existed, right? I existed, right? Right. <laughs> but what do you think young Jordan would say? But it blow my I? mind. I don't know, dude. I think it would, for some reason, I feel like I've pictured the life I'm living, but I live it, so I see the reality of like, oh, you drive up and down Magnolia Boulevard, you know, so you <laughs> to think make if, this life. But he, I think it'd blow my would, fucking he mind. He would say, "Wow, you're, I'm, I can't believe you get to do that." 
Yeah, like it would be like insane. I would be like, holy shit. I guess only badass shit happens to the badass motherfuckers. Like, honestly, I would have blew my fucking <laughs> mind. Like your five-year-olds would say. I would have just been like, holy shit, dude, you're really fucking doing it, bro. Fuck. And what would you say to him and why? Oh, jeez. <laughs> what would I say to him and why? Oh, play less football. <laughs> play a little football if you want to. You don't got to play so much goddamn football. That's what I would have said. Not that that was my only sport, but in general in sports. Just because you would have been like focused that. more on the entertainment stuff. Dude, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I acted one year in high school. That's bullshit. Some people get to act in seventh grade and shit. I got to act when I was three. I didn't need to fucking play so much football. Yeah. Probably hit my head too much. catch me dead on the football That's what I'd field. say. I would say, <laughs> didn't I have to play so much football. Fuck. I, I, guess, I, I auditioned you... to be a quarterback today, so maybe it would pay off. Yes, but yeah, I don't think well. I needed to play that much based on the auditioning process. I, I'm get, like, I, I don't I'm... think I'm ever going to get that answer ever again. So I just want to take a moment of silence for Jordan Lear. <laughs> well, dude, so when I think about some of the hardcore shit we did in practice, and I think about the auditions, and I'm like, I'm like these people will never see what like these hard hits people did or something. They're just going to see me smile. You know? But don't you think some of the lessons you learned in football are applicable to your acting yeah, career? Yeah, but that many hours, I could have been a fucking doctor. The <laughs> amount of time some people spend learning to do volleyball through high school and then they never do it again or some yeah. shit. I did show choir six hours hey, a day for do, like three years. Do a season. Do two seasons. I don't know. Maybe do all the seasons. But fuck, man. <laughs> Those small towns, you can get caught in that. There's no other creative outlets. You know, maybe you want to be a photographer. And What's it's your like, advice to people who are in small towns who are doing go, too much football? You... <laughs> When you get old enough, you need to move to a city at least once. Even if you're not going to live there forever, you need to make it a point to go to a city and live there because you'll learn things creatively and even, and a lot about the world too probably. That That's you your prescription. And I got a lot of that from Michigan State, which is one level. And then I got a whole as well. It's probably yeah. better that I had a gradual success. Michigan State's the river and LA's so maybe the start, ocean. So maybe start with the smallest. But honestly, dude, if you, I was telling someone recently because they were like reluctant. They were like living in a small town. They want to do photography. And uh, should I? I was like, well, you have to. And I was like, otherwise, nothing's going to happen. Yeah. Like, got to start. Nothing Literally will happen. Got to start. Nothing will happen. <laughs> nothing, 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 nothing. And then you'll get outsold by some mom taking fucking pictures because she's in on it with everybody. And you'll be like, yo, I've got the shit. But why you're, the fuck? you're telling her she needs to move. Yeah. You need to fucking go. If you live in a small town, you need to go at least once, even yeah. if, if if it's for a year. Even just, if it's for six months. You will, you will take something, something away that you could maybe use your craft at home if in nothing, a way you like to exactly. use it. And if nothing or in a smaller else, city or you'll learn city. what you don't want. I was want. like, nothing's going to happen if you stay there in Marcellus. Mm-hmm. Nothing, bro. They don't have good internet. Yeah, that's, that's a must. That's crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a must. That's life. I went to the fucking library to upload an audition. Two auditions at the library. I'd drive to Three Rivers Library, walk in, past the kids section, be like, I'm going to fucking do my shit because there's nothing shit going on. Everyone's doing meth. Oh. Oh, yeah, they're doing it. They're doing it. They're doing it. Oh. Keep that in. No. They're doing it. What? They do it. What do you think meth tastes like? Pure sugar. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I'm addicted to sugar. (laughs) 
I'd rather do sugar than meth, but the whole 30 would rather have me do meth than sugar. <laughs> meth is whole 30. Honestly, meth is more fucking whole 30 approved than the sugar. All I could want right now is a piece of cake, but they'd rather have me on meth. There's going to be all these office workers in LA addicted to meth because they're all doing whole 30. You can, you can have any drug you want. You just can't eat. You can't have any alcohol. You can't have any sugar. But you could literally have any drug the imagination could conjure. We're doing cocaine because we can't do any sugar. I mean, that would be an incredibly creative approach to Whole30. Like, just go on a drug buffet. Oh, my God. You just inspired someone's fucking blog. (laughs) I mean, clearly that's not how the Whole30 works, but (laughs) it's a funny idea. But before we wrap it up, I'm going to leave you with one thing that Jordan always said to me and that you should think about in whatever you're doing. When ducks fly, ducks fly together. (laughs) No, never said that to me before this exact moment. When Jordan and I were playing music at first, this is really the, the first time I thought about the power of visualization. He said to me, Lauren, we're already famous. Everybody else just doesn't know it yet. So it's that kind of confidence and that kind of vision that ultimately bring you to where you ever, wherever you want to be. Now, like maybe you don't want to get your music well known, like we did it at that time, and I still do. But like whatever your goal is, know that it already exists, and everybody else is just waiting to catch up with whatever reality you're imagining. When ducks fly, ducks fly together. And we're two ducks. And we're piecing out. Quack. Crackle. Quack. Love you. Quack. 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 Bye. Thank you so much for listening and to my guest, Jordan Lear. For more information on Jordan, follow him at Jordan Lear on Twitter and at Jordan underscore Lear on Instagram. Jordan is J-O-R-D-A-N and Lear is L-E-E-R. Thanks to Liz Full for composing the show's theme music. You can follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. Remember to subscribe, rate, review, and tell a friend about the show. You can follow us at Unleash Your Inner Creative and at Lauren LaGrasso. Don't forget my single, Road to Glory, is out now. You can download it wherever good music is found. I'm also playing a live show at Bar 20 on Sunset Boulevard on the 16th of December at 8.15 p.m. I'd love to see you there. My wish for you this week is that you have a little bit more fun in whatever you do. I think it will help every area of your life. It's already helping mine. I love you. And I believe in you.